the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Good afternoon and welcome to Exploring the Word. I'm Jim Stanley sitting in for Brother Bert Harper today. And from somewhere in the Colorado Springs area, I'm sure with a view of Pike's Peak, is my good friend and brother in the Lord, Dr. Alex McFarland. Well, God bless you. I am in Colorado, actually, a little bit north of Colorado Springs, a little town called Woodland Park. And I'm out here teaching this week at Karis Bible College, but I've got my trusty studio in a box, the oh. Comrex, and so we can do the show. And uh, Jim, it's good to have you. And uh, hey, I want to give you a little quiz. May I do that? Well, depends on if you want a passing grade or not. I bet I'll get one. All right. Okay. What do these biblical figures have in common? Joseph, Mary, Elizabeth, Zacharias, a census, Bethlehem, an inn, a manger, a star, angels, shepherds, wise men, Herod, and of course, Jesus. And then this repeated phrase, as was spoken by the prophet. What do you think all those things have in common? I believe it centers around the birth of Christ and the prophecy of the birth of Christ. Amen. And Christmas. And uh, well, so ye- yeah. yesterday, Bert and I were in Matthew 1, and we were just kind of doing a survey of lots and lots of scriptures that pertain to the coming of our Lord. Well, good deal. I understand we're going to be in Matthew 2 today. Yeah. And uh, because I think that's some of where you guys were yesterday. And, you know, it, it's interesting that each of the Gospels records the birth a little differently. None of them dispute the virgin birth of Christ, obviously, but it's interesting to note how they approach it, isn't it? Well, it is. And, you know, we've had different friends and colleagues, I think, of Lee Strobel, who did his law degree at Yale, and then people like J. Warner Wallace, who is a renowned detective. And people that are trained in such things, they say, look, the fact that the four Gospels, they give complementary details, not contradictory details, mm-hmm. but just different perspectives. Uh, Jim, a lot of people say that really adds to the credibility of this, that you know these are eyewitnesses. Um, obviously, they were writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but the fact that they give you know uh, the same basic uh, story, but some interesting details and observational things really has convinced a lot of people that this this is true, this is historical, this is trustworthy, and certainly we do believe that here at AFA. We we know this is the Word of God, but um, you know we're coming up on what Bert and I both we are unabashed. We love Christmas, our favorite time of the year. And uh, Jim, isn't it something that uh, the greatest the greatest day in human history? I mean, people say, well, Easter and the resurrection, but that couldn't have happened without first Jesus' coming. And when God took on a human body, came onto the stage of human history to be our Savior, and the Bible says, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, and it's Emmanuel, God with us, certainly uh, the greatest thing ever in the history of the world, the coming of our Savior. Amen. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. Without the virgin birth, we could have never had the innocent sacrifice that was made on the cross. Exactly, exactly. Well, in in Matthew chapter 2, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Okay, so already we've got some historical context set, and there's a lot we could say about that, but this is a time and a place and some very specific investigatable historical uh, mileposts here. They came to Jerusalem. Now, they didn't just go to Bethlehem, but they went to Jerusalem. Uh, and we can talk about that. But they asked the religious leaders, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Jim, I've, I've often tried to, in my mind, picture maybe this great entourage, and there's the Magi coming from really Babylon or Persia, they've probably got a pretty good entourage with them. There's camels, there might be horses. Um, Why do you think, quote, all of Jerusalem was troubled? You think maybe they were worried, uh uh-oh, is this some sort of military uh, maneuver happening? But um, they, they, this was an unexpected band of people coming into town, and it would have been uh, you know, front page news, I suppose. Oh, it sure would have been because when you see the, even today, you know, as we have different ambassadors and different uh, public figures that travel into Washington, D.C., where there are dignitaries all the time, you always can tell when there's that little extra notch of security, the, a little extra notch of uh, press and everything, because there's going to be a member of royalty come by, if you will. Well, in this case, they went in, and they came in the town asking, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Well, I can understand why Herod, the current sitting king, was troubled, because he's wondering, are these folks, you know, just like you said, are they coming, are they scouting out to see how they're going to bring about the change and how they're going to establish a king of the Jews when Herod was, was the current king? Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, this is part of the thing that I think a lot of people in that day misunderstood the coming of Jesus. And look, we'll be very clear, Christ is the king, and Christ is coming back one day, and righteousness will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, says Habakkuk. But his first coming was not to uh, physically, militarily overthrow Rome, or establish his kingdom right then. He first came to be that lamb, that sacrifice. But his coming, Herod was troubled because, uh, you know, there was a family of Herods, and they had had various levels of authority uh, designated or delegated by Rome. And, you know, Herod might have been just worried about his own position, but he, verse 4 of Matthew 2, Herod gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together and demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Uh, and they're going to quote Micah 5 2, which, by the way, had been written really five centuries prior. This is amazing. You know, Jim, I, 
If, if only one fulfilled prophecy had accompanied the life of Jesus, I mean, that would be amazing, but there were dozens. But Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And the complete uh, prophecy of Micah 5.2 is goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Uh, Herod privately called the wise men, and inquired of them, when did the star appear? Now, let me just say this, folks, and I'm going to throw back to Jim. Scholars talk about general revelation and special revelation. All right, you read Psalm 19, the heavens and earth declare the glory of God. In a general sense, everybody knows there's a God. Everybody does. The creation had to have a creator. Now, there's Scripture, which is special revelation. Very specific. It's interesting. Herod goes to the religious leaders who consult the Scripture, special revelation. He goes to the wise men, and they have gotten some general revelation. When did you see this star? And so they're putting the pieces together. And the, the thing, though, here's the thing, Jim. The Persian Magi were not Jews. They were pagan Gentiles. And yet they responded more thoroughly to the general vague revelation they had than the full-blooded Jewish religious leaders did to the special revelation that they had. Now, my point is this. With revelation comes accountability. I mean, the, the Magi saw a star in the east, and they came hundreds of miles. The Jews in the city of God, Jerusalem, had the scriptures, and they didn't respond. Do you, do you see the... The, the absence of belief on the part of the religious leaders? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, you know, because you just see that throughout Scripture itself. And so for this to take place the way it did, and then, you know, the wise men, they knew they had been called in secret. And they mm -hmm. knew that they were, that the king was probably not being straight up with them. As yeah, they, they were smart. They were, they were wise <laughs> on a number of levels. Yes, sir. And so, and there in verse 7, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, we go from a period of a troubled mind and a troubled heart and trouble in Jerusalem to now a private audience with the king then the king wanting to know where this new king was born so that he could come and worship him too. Do you think worship's really what Herod had on his mind? <laughs> no, I really don't. I mean, in a way, Jim, it's like uh, he probably said, hey, look, there's one king, and you're looking at him. Right. Y you know, the king of the Jews, what are you talking about? All right, in verse 7, he inquired diligently, and his uh, urgency and fervency of interrogation, the, these men knew. And look, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is not that far. Uh, we, we were there in 2014, and you know I don't know if it's 7 to 10 or 11 miles, but it's not that far. So he says, well, go and find him, and when you've found him, bring me word that I may come and worship. These, these Babylonians had traveled hundreds of miles to to worship the king. Now, how did they know about this? All right, we've talked about this every year. We talk about this at Christmas, but in Daniel 248, 
says Daniel, you know, he was a man of God. He purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. And it says eventually Daniel was made governor over the wise men of Babylon. And I've got to believe that Daniel, even though he was a political prisoner and a slave, um, he witnessed, he shared what he knew. Uh, and Numbers talks about a star would arise out of Jacob, and in his hand would be a scepter. Who holds the scepter? A king, okay? So even though you and I, we know more about the Christmas story than Daniel did, Daniel apparently, undoubtedly, uh, told what he knew. Hundreds of years later, the, the Magi came, and I guess in verse 8, Herod says, well, hey, when you find him, let me know. They might have thought, goodness, Here's this uh, Roman, you know, regional ruler who's very anxious. We've traveled hundreds of miles to worship this king. He's not going to be willing to go five, six, seven miles. So they saw the child, and they, you know, were led by God, and they they didn't go back, and Herod was, was angry. But verse 9, a lot has been said about this. They went and they came and they stood, uh, well, they went to where the, the star was because it stood over where the young child was. And Jim, have you heard in commentaries, they'll say, well, the baby Jesus might have been, might have been two years old by now, mm-hmm. you know, because to get this entourage up, to travel, to go, by the time the wise men got, I know we, I love manger scenes, I collect, I've got, I've easily got 12 or 13 manger scenes. And there's the wise men, but probably it was a year and a half, maybe even two years, because it says not the infant, but where the quote young child was. So they were willing yeah. to uh, go and go and worship. They sure were. And folks, we'll continue with more of the Christmas story here on American Family Radio's Exploring the Word. Straight ahead. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Rachel Torres, administrator of the Job Corps. She oversees vocational training for young men and women in the United States. Proverbs 12:11 reminds us of the importance of working hard. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Rachel Torres as she helps provide job training to young Americans. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Today is Giving Tuesday, a day of inspired generosity and a chance for each of us to help change our country and the world through acts of generosity. We invite you to consider supporting this ministry. Details at pausetopray.org. James 5.15 talks about the effectiveness of prayer offered in faith. But Dr. Tony Evans says many people don't understand what that really looks like. He'll share a great example with us today as we spend two minutes with Tony. The prayer of faith acts like God is telling the truth. It reminds me of the story of these folks who were praying for rain. They were praying for rain because it was dry. They were praying for rain. And, and it didn't rain. They went out praying for rain. Didn't rain. Didn't rain. So they're disappointed at God. A little boy came out a few days later. 
by himself in the center of town. He praying for rain. God, you control the heavens and I believe you can make it rain. He just stood there. God, I know you can make it rain. All of a sudden, the sky got cloudy. A little bit later, it started raining. All these adults were praying for rain. No rain. This little boy comes for praying for rain. It rained. What was the difference between all the adults and the little boy? The little boy brought an umbrella. See, the little boy wasn't just talking. He was expecting. He was expecting. See, when the prayer of faith is a prayer that acts like you believe God can do something. It knows who you're talking to and you know what his ability is to pull off what you ask for. And whatever is the appropriate thing to do because you believe you're willing to do. Find out where that sense of expectation comes from and how it can set your faith on fire. Check out Tony's CD series, Igniting Kingdom Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Exploring the Word on American Family Radio, Jim Stanley along with Dr. Alex McFarland. Alex, did you notice some of the lyrics in there that when I fight, I'll fight from my knees? Mm, you know, yes. fighting, fighting from the knees is, it's really hard to do. Uh, you can't put any power behind the punches. You can't move very well to get out of the way of the oncoming punches and kicks, and so... Fighting from your knees is fighting from a position of meekness. It's fighting almost from a position of surrender. But a lot of times what folks don't understand is that when we actually fight from our knees, we have a whole different type of battle going on, don't we? Amen. You know that song, that's been one of our bumper songs, you know, the rejoin when we come mm -hmm. back. And it's got this lyric, oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night, God, the battle belongs to you. And Jim, you know, it's we talk about Jesus coming, and at the right time, God sent his son. And for everybody listening, maybe you're on top of the world, life is great, and if, if you're in that place, we rejoice with you. But maybe you're in a valley, folks, and, and things are kind of tough right now. The battle is the Lord's, and the, and the Lord is for you. Jim, I, I think it's good to remind ourselves that God is for us, God is with us, God is victorious, and yeah, when you're on your knees interceding and worshiping, that's the, the most, the, well, the most position of power is on your knees before an all-powerful all God, isn't it? It sure is. And, you know, when you say God is for us and God is with us, He really is. And, you know, you had mentioned mm -hmm. that the wise men were pagans, that they weren't Jewish, that they didn't necessarily believe in God, but they had come to witness the birth of the Christ child. They had followed the star by faith to where he was. 
you know, they had had the prophecies from old, so evidently they were very well read for their time, and they knew the scriptures and the prophecies, and they knew what the star meant. And, and the reason I say that is that they had to be receptive to the divine voice because in verse 12, and I do want to go back to verse 10. I don't want to miss mm. that. But while, we're, while we were talking about this the way we were, um, it says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. First of all, they had the divine warning. Second of all, they were willing to believe the divine warning and that they just didn't have bad oats for supper. Mm. You know, uh, Amen. so it, that's one of the things there. And that's when you say God is with us and God is for us, that same thing happens in our lives today that we may, we may, you know, we call it a, a feeling or whatever you want to call it. But there are times that we know we're about to do something wrong and the Holy Spirit will say, Hey, you may want to check up on that. You sure oh, you yeah. want to do that? So always listen to those promptings of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, Jim, I think the longer you, you know the Lord, um, the more uh, you can cultivate the habit of, of hearing from the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just taking on how they worship. I love Christmas plays. <laughs> I do. And listen, I'm not kidding. I mean, I really, really, really love Christmas. And I every year go to two, three, or four Christmas plays whenever I can. Uh, Jim, when I was at Liberty University, this is... 25 years ago, um, Thomas Road Baptist Church, they had a Christmas play every year to end all Christmas plays. And I remember Angie and I were newlyweds. We'd been married about three months, and we're up there, and I'm going to school. Well, I mean, when it came time, they were enacting the scene of the wise men. I mean, they walked a camel down the middle aisle in the sanctuary. And where in the world they got a camel, I have no idea. But they had the three wise men, and let me tell you, they, they look the part. I mean, they, and here's the, and it was a Christmas play, but the wise men came and there's the baby Jesus and they fell down and worshiped. And it, it moved me so much because I was thinking, oh, that's how it was. Look, you look at Matthew 2.10, they found the family with exceeding great joy. They came in the house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down. I mean, this is like, prostrate, fall on the ground, and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Mm. And let me say that um, the appropriate response to Jesus is worship. You know, I think about Thomas when Thomas saw the risen Jesus, and he said, my Lord and my God. Mm. Uh Christmas is such a beautiful thing, and the, these wise men, notice the shepherds that we're going to get to in Luke 2, they were at the bottom end of the sociological scale, the poor, smelly shepherds. Then you've got the kings, and you know what's amazing? Uh, Herod is called king, but he was no king. Jesus was just a newborn infant, and yet the eternal Lagos, God incarnate, and here are the royalty from Persia, mm -hmm. but they worship the one who really is royalty. I just, Jim, I just think it is the most riveting story, and there's just you, there's you can't stop finding nuggets of of truth in here. The, no, I uh, mean even in the gifts that were given, you know, oh, they yeah. were giving from an abstract of worship, 
and they were gifts that you know if you'd be, if they had been traveling to see Herod for instance uh, and they were coming to him they probably would have had a gift for him but Herod wasn't on the I was going to say wasn't on the dance card but I don't want to make light of this <laughs> yeah I, Herod, I hear you Herod wasn't part of the planned trip Herod called them in so they did you don't notice you notice that it doesn't say they brought Herod any gifts but yeah. you notice the gifts that they bring Jesus yes well and and much has been said and oh goodness I love the the Christmas songs like uh do you hear what I hear and uh, we three kings great great song okay gold uh what is gold well kings and royalty own gold frankincense uh that's a, that's a, an incense and uh worship you know is part of you know burning of incense mm-hmm. myrrh a burial spice uh why would you bring an infant something that uh bespeaks death well as harold wilmington the great scholar would say jesus was born to die i mean he really was and uh jim i've had more than a few skeptics say well if christ really came why didn't he you know, wipe the slate clean and set up his kingdom 2,000 years ago. Everything in order. Right. The sin had to be paid for, the atonement, the the, the sacrificial lamb. But, um, you know, it's been said that God sees the end from the beginning, and the victory over sin and death, it was already a done deal. That's why, as, uh, you know, we're, we're living in pretty tough times. I mean, there's a lot going on. But you don't need to worry. I assure you, King Jesus is coming, and he is victorious. And so even as a baby, with that allusion to, you know, death, um, they, there was no danger of Christ being, uh, you know, defeated. But verse 12, being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they, the wise men, departed into their own country another way. So I'm... Um, it's the next morning. They've, they've met the baby Jesus, the promised Jewish Messiah, and their long pilgrimage has been fruitful. So they get up, they pack up, it's time to head back. I wonder, Jim, if the wise men, they said, hey, listen, uh, i got to tell you, I had a dream last night. And another one goes, oh, my goodness, I had that same dream. You too? And, you know, they all three got this dream. And it was, hey... Don't go back to Herod. Of course, I think they already knew that. They, they, look, they weren't called wise men for nothing. Right. They knew Herod was not uh, somebody they needed to tangle with, but God warned him in a dream, and I've often thought that the, uh, you know, they had coffee before they hit the road, and they probably had a conversation, you know, let's not go back through Jerusalem. Right, and... they, You know, that's one of those things there that they probably told the guides and the the folks that were with the caravan, look, if you're wanting to go back to Jerusalem, you need to go hitch up with somebody else because we're not going that way. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, that's that's true. Uh, and then there in verse 13, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So here's another divine intervention. You know, we had the divine planning that we that we see more in Luke where where Mary was approached, Joseph was approached, you know, through the dreams and through the the herald of the Lord. And now here again we see that 
uh, in the young child's life. And a moment ago, you mentioned that by the time the wise men got there, Jesus was probably a year and a half, two years old. Mm-hmm. And that's credence is lent to that because Herod wasn't sure how child, how old the child was. But we see an order coming uh, there in, in the next few verses that that we see that he orders the death of of first uh, of the children two and under, you know, the male children two and yeah. under. And so we see tragedy coming, but we see the deliverance for the Lord. Well, and I got to unpack this for a second. And the Word of God is so amazing, so amazing. And I know I, I belabor points, and I tend to drag things out. But uh, and there's so much. And folks, what we're doing, if you're just tuning in, this is Exploring the Word with Alex and Jim. Uh, we're going over some scriptures relevant to Christmas. And when we get to Shepherd's Field and Luke 2, you don't want to miss it. But I want to pull something out here. Okay. Joseph had a dream in Matthew 120. Uh, this says, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife, because she's a virgin. She's carrying the Son of God, so don't be afraid. Joseph has another dream. Go to Egypt because there are those who seek the child's life. Hosea 11.1 1 had said, out of Egypt have I called my son. All right? So in Jeremiah 31, there had been a prophecy. And brace yourselves, folks. I think this is beautiful. Jeremiah 31.15, it says there was a voice heard of Rachel weeping for her children, for they are not. Um, There was this prophecy of Jeremiah that really the Herodian, it's what scholars call the slaughter of the innocents. And uh, since 1973 here in America, we have had the slaughter of the innocents. But here's the thing. Why, you know, Herod says, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to kill all the children two years and younger. And by default, I will get Jesus. But he wouldn't because, of course, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus have escaped to Egypt. But here's the thing. Rachel weeping. Now, what is this talking about? You go back to Genesis 35. Rachel died giving birth, okay? Uh, uh, And a, a child was born named Benjamin. Jacob called him Benjamin. But here's the thing. Uh, an angel comforts them and says there will be another son born. All right? Now, where was Rachel when she died in the process of giving birth? Bethlehem. Mm. And an angel said, hey, before, uh, before dying, she named the boy Benjamin. And Rachel was buried there just right outside of, of Bethlehem. And this angel said... There will be another son born all the way back in Genesis 35. And that other son born, Jesus. I mean, Jim, Shakespeare wishes he could have written a story this panoramic and expansive, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. When, when you look at it and you see this and you see the even the minute details that the Lord covered, both in prophecy and then in caring for the for the Christ child, there wasn't much left to chance. Now, Matthew really does kind of give us the flyover version of mm-hmm. the birth of Christ and, um, and the things that took place there. But it was one of those things that there was, so they get to Jerusalem, or pardon me, Bethlehem, and suddenly there's no room in the inn, you know, and so they the baby's right. born in the manger. 
Well, right. now they've evidently found housing because they it doesn't mention the manger again, but it mentions that they came to visit. So at this point, a lot of the folks had gone home after the census, and so they were able to find a place that they could stay for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then when it came time to go, the Lord came to them and, and again in a dream said, hey, time to go. And notice the fact that they were to stay in Egypt until the Lord sent word again. Exactly. And and they had to wait on the Lord. I mean, Joseph might have said, well, you know what? Um, hey, I, I better get back to uh, Nazareth where I know I've got a job or I've got to. But no, he had to wait. And uh, eventually the word of the Lord did come to Joseph in verse 19 of mm-hmm. Matthew chapter 2. But, um, you know... Just to show that, you know, Herod's heart wasn't right. When he saw, verse 16, he saw that the wise men had slipped away. He was mocked. Said The old King James says he was exceeding wroth, W-R-O-T-H. In, in other words, he was enraged. Mm-hmm. He was enraged. Uh, for one thing, made him look foolish. But um, so he, you know, ordered all the children two years and under to be, to be killed, which they were. But finally, verse 19, when Herod was dead... Behold, an angel of the Lord. And here's a guy, you think about verse 19. He was, uh, you know, coveting his power. He was pulling strings, doing all these deals. He was willing to kill if it meant to protect what he thought was his throne. And it all boils down. He lived and he died, and he's all but forgotten. You would never even know about a Herod except for the story of Jesus. You know, Bert, um, what does it profit a man? I mean, Jim. The Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Herod was one of those who did that, wasn't he? Sure. Well, all evidence points to that fact, Jess, because Herod was interested in Herod. Herod was interested in in continuing to build everything that Herod could, maybe for his family, maybe not. But one thing's for sure, the Christ child was worshipped, the Christ child was protected, and Joseph and Mary followed the instructions of the Lord. Exploring the Word continues straight ahead. When the shoeboxes are delivered, that's when the journey begins. Six Dollars can provide discipleship training and multiplication to children around the world with the greatest journey. Six Dollars per Child provides teacher resources, a workbook for a child, and 12 lessons in the child's own language. Six Dollars is all it takes to start a child on the greatest journey of his or her life. To find out how you can donate to The Greatest Journey by Samaritan's Purse, listen on December 7th to AFR. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. With this statement, Jesus affirmed what he'd already said in Genesis 1 and 2 and defined marriage for all time. Contrary to the protestations of the nouveau critical theorists, the nuclear family consisting of a married father and mother is not a Western sociological prescription or construct. 
Marriage did not originate in the West. Its origin isn't suburban America. It started in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. Marriage is God's idea. Therefore, he alone defines it. If you don't like it, your problem is with God, not me. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus instructed his disciples to pray this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. A man visiting an electric plant was amazed at how many signs there were warning people about the power of the electricity. He thought to himself, these people work at this plant every day. Surely they know how powerful electricity is. And they did. But the signs were there so that they would never forget what they were dealing with. When you pray, don't forget who you're dealing with. Don't forget who you're praying to. God is the almighty creator of the universe. He is powerful and above all, he is holy. Let's remember to regard our Heavenly Father with reverence and awe. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow weak or discouraged before he has established justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Isaiah 42, 3 and 4. American Family Radio. Certainly what we're talking about today on Exploring the World is that we want everyone to see Jesus. And today we're talking about Jesus as, as the Christ child in the second chapter of Matthew. And we were talking about the divine intervention of the Lord having sent the wise men home a different way, then warning Joseph and Mary to take the child to Egypt and then telling them that it was okay now in verse 19 to bring the child home. But then we have one more divine warning, don't we, Alex? Well, yeah, and so Herod had a son. Okay, this is interesting. Um, Herod is dead, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the child's life. So they're going to go from Egypt to Israel. And so... Along this way, in verse 23, Joseph hears that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the, in the room or in the stead of Herod, his father, and he was afraid to go there. Okay, Archelaus was kind of the heir of the, the like I said, there was a family of Herodians, and uh, Archelaus was uh, half Samaritan by birth, okay? Remember, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't have any thing to do with each other, and he was considered um, an interloper the, uh, in Jerusalem. They didn't like Archelaus, so Joseph is afraid, but being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. 
that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophets, Jesus, he would be called a Nazarene. Mm. Isn't it something, Bert, I'm sorry, Jim, you're you're not Bert, you're Jim. I am. And that's wonderful. (laughs) Jim, look, even amidst circumstances, amidst the schemes of evil men, even amidst the fluctuating emotions of godly people like Joseph, God still gets his script written, doesn't he? He sure does. Absolutely. And I mean, that kind of plays out here where one would have thought one brother would have taken the throne, and instead another one does. And it was at that point that additional direction is giving. But none of that caught God by surprise because, like you said there, uh, there was prophecy that he, he, Jesus, would be called a Nazarene. And that's exactly what happened. Let me give Mm -hmm. the phone number out real quick so we can start getting some calls in. And then we'll continue this conversation while the the phones load up. 888-589-8840 is the number to call this afternoon. And we're going to take your Bible questions uh, in just a moment. But before we do, I want to make sure that um, that we've covered what we wanted to here. Because, Alex, I think it is one of these things that Oftentimes, because we're reading back on it, and we read it every year, you know, I mean, it's just the pastor gives the same series of sermons every year. We don't need to take it for granted. It needs to be read with fresh eyes and fresh life each time we read it, doesn't it? Well, exactly. And, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis, and by the way, there was uh, just recently a movie um, about C.S. Lewis that was in theaters and C.S. Lewis was a great scholar. He became a born-again Christian. And here's something that, that Lewis said, and one of the things that compelled him, great Oxford scholar, to become a Christian was the historicity of all this. And I want to read a quote, um, because in the 19th century and early 20th century, a lot of people were dismissive, and they said, well, the Gospels, it's a myth. C.S. Lewis said the following, uh, quote, he said, this was no myth. It happens, the birth of Jesus, at a particular date, in a particular place, followed by definable historical consequences. He said, we, pa- we pass from Balder and Osiris, which are ancient myths, Greek and Roman mythology. Uh, these, now Lewis says, dying, nobody knows when, nobody knows where. We come to a historical person crucified under Pontius Pilate. It is all in order. It was not myth. It was miracle. And he became a believer. And that's that's what we say. I mean, I know we read this every year, but it's worth really um, meditating over, reading, studying. And by the way, tomorrow, if, if I can uh, tell, you know, we're trying to go over all these Christmas scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, in Mark, uh, chapter 1, 2 through 9, we read about John the Baptist. And I know Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, but maybe, Jim, tomorrow we could touch on that because, um, you know, there's so much here. I mean, goodness, Simeon and Anna and uh, the coming of Christ in the fullness of time sent by the Father to be our Savior. It's worth just getting every nugget out of it that is there and there's a lot of nuggets there. <laughs> well, let me may I suggest this that we save that until Thursday when you're back on the air. Okay. So because that sounds like it's part of a conversation you want to have and I look forward to that. Don't misunderstand me. I'll be happy for Bert and I to talk about it. But that way we you know it it will be yours and we uh, 
Bert and I may cover some of John tomorrow. Okay. And the uniqueness of, uniqueness of that. Is that okay? It sounds great. All right. Uh, folks, this is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Jim Stanley in with Dr. Alex McFarland. And you may wonder why we would take care of that piece of business during the radio program. Well, that <laughs> way, you, the listener, kind of know what to plan on for tomorrow as well. That way you won't be expecting one discussion only to find out it's something else. The number is 888-589-8840, and we're going to talk to Mark in Texas this afternoon. Mark, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi, thank you both. My question is uh, to get some clarification on pastors mentioning a revival happening prior to the rapture, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and kind of just some clarification on some mentioning that that's going to happen and that's that's that that that's coming, and then some others that are popular mentioning that um, there's not going to be necessarily a final revival. There's just going to be, of course, people that find Christ during the tribulation, um, since there, of course, will be you know the the Jewish people who come to find him and then many others. Yeah. Mark, those are great questions. And Alex, as we think about that, we know there's going to be an apostasy preceding this. What about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, the Bible talks about that there will be a falling away, an apostasy, which means a rebellion against truth. Uh, And then the man of sin will be revealed. Now, I got to tell you, I, I honestly don't know. I want to believe a great revival is going to come. And a, a lot of preachers preach on that, that there's a great awakening beginning, and maybe there is um, a couple of reasons I think they preach that. Matthew twenty four fourteen is kind of one of their texts about a revival, and I'm going to share that, Matthew twenty four fourteen, uh, where Jesus said... And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations, and then the end shall come. So the gospel of the kingdom is going forth. I want to tell you, Jim, I, I know we, we're pretty backslidden in the USA, much as I love America. But listen, in parts of Africa, in parts of India, there's incredible moves of God in China. But there's also persecution and Oddly enough, sometimes the church has really flourished when there was intense persecution. There's an old saying that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Maybe some of them preach uh, a revival is coming because um, persecution and hard times have what they call a winnowing effect. You find out the serious from the, the curious. And so, Jim... You know, I don't know. I know as much as I crave revival and spiritual awakening, it really is in the hands of a sovereign God. One final thing that um, I know Norm Geisler used to say this. He was a Christian thinker. He said, look, he said that he just couldn't believe that darkness would prevail, that things would be dark, evil men wax worse and worse, but a holy God eventually is going to say, okay, enough and he would pour out his spirit on the church. One last thing, Jim, and I'd love your comment. Charles Finney, back in the 19th century, he was a big evangelist in the 1800s. Finney said God was more willing to send a revival than we were even willing to ask for it. Mm. So I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know one of the keys to awakening is prayer and intercession on the part of God's people. 
Oh, it absolutely is. And, you know, I think the other day you and I and, and Bert were talking and we talked about the need for prayer. If you're going to have a successful church, you have to have a successful prayer group. Uh, you can't have one without the other because someone needs to be praying for the revival of the church, the local body, and then that body began to evangelize again. You know, there was a time when evangelism was was happening all the time. You didn't have to fight for church visitation. You didn't have to big beg for church visitation. There was seeing the need for that. Now we want to respect everyone's privacy. We don't want to intrude on anyone. We don't want to embarrass anyone. Folks still need Jesus, and we still need to be about it. Mm. That's well, all. That, that's all I got right there. I'll, that's I'll good let sermon, that go. Jim. <laughs> all right, hey Mark, thanks again for that call. Let's talk to Gina now from Tennessee. Gina, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hey guys, thank you so much for for doing this. I've never done this before. Um, do you, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Okay, I'm from um, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, and about two years ago, I found out that um, Jesus' birthday really wasn't December 25th. God has just been taking me into studying His Word a lot deeper. And then um, I've also, in my study, just with the Jeremiah verse of Jeremiah 10.4 regarding the Christmas tree, um, you know, you shouldn't chop down a tree, put it on a stand, and decorate it with silver and gold. I know they're talking more about, like, idol bodies, figures, but... Um, you know, we have the song Silver and Gold that we sing for Christmas. And so I'm, as a believer and as a mother of four children, um, I'm trying to figure out, I, I don't want the world anymore. I just want Jesus. And I want I want to figure out, I don't know what to do for Christmas. I met this. Right. Hey, Gina, I'm going to let Father Christmas answer that one because uh, we, in fact, talked about this um, uh, earlier, and I, I'm only teasing when I call him that. He and Bert. <laughs> are huge Christmas fans. And I, I believe me, I love worshiping the Christ child. Don't misunderstand me. But some of the commercialization of Christmas uh, has come to bother me over the years. So I'm kind of the bah humbug guy, but these guys are all about it. Alex, um, you know, especially the Christmas tree and some of the traditions that we have uh, as far as setting aside the 25th to, to celebrate Christmas. Yeah, um, and and God bless you for studying the Word and doing as you're doing. Uh, in all probability, you're right. The the deliverance of the baby Jesus in the manger wasn't on a December 25th. Although there are some, there were some in the early church that thought that maybe this 359th day of the year, December 25th, was the night of the miraculous virginal conception. By the way, there was a guy named Dr. Henry Morris. And he started ICR, the Institute for Creation Research. And Henry Morris was a brilliant guy, had a PhD, PhD in uh, hydrology and the study of fluids and went to University of Virginia. Brilliant guy. He's with the Lord now. He wrote a lot about it, and he wrote um, a lot about the, you know, in the Roman world, as the days became shorter, the nights became longer, you know, uh, 270 days from December 25th is September 29th. Okay, the early church had a feast and a festival to acknowledge the angel coming to Mary and saying, when, what, you know, you're going to be with child. So Henry Morris, and he was no, he was no lightweight. I mean, he was a, a bona fide scholar. He believed late December 
was the time of the miraculous virginal conception. The, and we, we said the virgin birth. Actually, the delivery of the baby Jesus would have been like any other baby. He came out of the birth channel and was delivered. What we really talk about is the miraculous virginal conception. But here's the thing. We may not know the exact night of when he was born, but we know that he came. We definitely do know the exact time of his resurrection and crucifixion at Passover, uh, roughly 30 A.D. So um, as to what, how, sh- how we should commemorate it, well, the Bible says in everything gives, give thanks. And look, we put up Christmas trees, Jim, every doorknob, every mantle, every window. If there's a piece of level ground or anything in our house, we put holly and everything on it. Because, look, we give thanks that he came. And I, I'm, I'm only speaking for Alex. I don't think there's one thing wrong with not only acknowledging the birth of Christ, but celebrating the birth mm. of Christ. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's a song called Happy Birthday, Jesus. And when you yeah. hear that and you listen to the lyrics of that, uh, the price that we know was paid for us here uh, came. And, and as you and I mentioned at the beginning of the program, without the birth we would not have had Easter. Gina, I hope that helped. We may not have gotten a complete answer in there to you, but I sure hope that helped. And thank you for calling, and and don't be a stranger. Feel free to call back sometime. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. I'm Jim Stanley along with Dr. Alex McFarland, and I'll be in with Bert Harper tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Alex has some stuff he needs to take care of. Hey, folks, by the way, if you're interested in bringing Alex to your community, and uh, some of the resources that he may have available, some of the books he's written, visit alexmcfarland.com, alexmcfarland.com, or you can also visit afastore.net. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Tell someone about AFR and Exploring the Word. Tell everyone about Jesus. For Alex McFarland, I'm Jim Stanley. Have a great afternoon.